Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We're going to read Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. And this is a passage of what God is telling His people right after He disciplined them. Okay, this is... This is God basically saying, come here. It's okay. It's okay. Come here. Okay, so let's read uh, Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5. Uh, And we haven't done this in a long time because we have not, um, because we have been doing more of a topical series. So why don't you stand, if you're able, uh, for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 5 says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill uh, be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer one more time. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your discipline. We thank you that we are reading a word of hope today from you. We are reading a message and a promise of hope, of restoration, of salvation, of you revealing your glory to the world. We thank you that uh, in a few weeks, we get to celebrate and remember the fulfillment of your promise in the incarnation of your son, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care for us, for your discipline and for your restoration. Lord, I pray that you fill us with your spirit to hear this word, to be comforted by it. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <laughs> before we get any, any deeper into this passage, I, I kind of just want to give you a, a little bit of context in terms of where we're at in the book of Isaiah, because the book of Isaiah is a really large book, and it's, you know, if you are not familiar with it, it can be uh, rather confusing. So I'm going to give you like just a really, really brief uh not even a summary of the book, but just kind of, you know, kind of one of those maps when you're lost in a mall or a park or somewhere and you see the little, the map and it says, you are here. And that's basically what, what I want to do right now. Book of Isaiah can roughly, or not roughly, but generally be divided into two larger sections. And that is uh, verse, uh, chapters 1 through 39. And then the second section is... Uh, uh, chapter 40 through the end of the book. And if you notice, we are in the, in, at the beginning of that second half. In the first half, uh, 
Isaiah deals with uh, the judgment of Jerusalem, the judgment of the people of Israel. Basically, Isaiah at the beginning of the book is told, is commissioned by God and he is told, you're going to go and you're going to preach a message, but you're going to preach a message to a people that will not listen to you. Can you imagine being commissioned by God to do that? To go and preach to a people that will not listen to you? And the point is that the people of Israel have been disobeying God, disobeying God over and over. And now Isaiah's job is to preach that they repent, but ultimately to tell them that judgment is coming. But even in that proclamation of judgment, there is a message of hope where Isaiah is bringing clues and hints that God will restore his people. Even though his people are going to go into exile, even though they're going to go into Babylon uh, for 70 years, there is a promise that they're going to return and that they're going to be restored. Now, in the second half of the book, uh, chapters 40 through the end of the book, we have a beautiful, poetic, probably the most, one of the most beautiful sections in all of Scripture, and it's a message of hope. It is a message of restoration. Chapter 39 ends with the threat of the people of Israel going to Babylon, going into captivity, and chapter 40 begins after 70 years or so of people being in captivity in Babylon. After people having, having endured the discipline that came because of their sin. The, the captivity in, 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 uh, in Babylon, the exile in Babylon because of their sin. And here in chapter 40, as I mentioned before, this is a word of comfort. This is a word of a tender father coming to his children and saying, shh, 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's going to get better. There is hope. There is, uh, there is a hope for restoration. Now, here in this passage, we have uh, a, a promise of God coming, of God showing his glory, of God revealing his glory, not only to the people of Israel, but to the world. But we can think of this promise, and, and really, we can do this with, with pretty much uh, all of the Old Testament. We can think of this promise in three different stages or aspects, right? The first aspect of this promise, of this hope that the people of Israel are given, is that the people of Israel, who are captive in Babylon, they will be brought back to, the, to their land. They will be brought back to Israel, and the temple will be rebuilt. And that promise, that first stage or aspect of this promise has actually already been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in, uh, in the year 539 BC when the Persian king Cyrus defeated Babylon and he made a decree that Israel could go back to their land and they could build their temple and the temple was rebuilt in 516 BC. And so that first stage of that promise was, was fulfilled. But then we think of a second aspect of that promise, which is the coming of the Lord Jesus, right? If you think about uh, those words of, you know, the voice Christ in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that immediately brings us to the beginning of the Gospels when John the Baptist is the voice crying in the wilderness and he is the one announcing that Jesus is going to come. And so that second aspect of this promise is that is that God himself would send his servant, that God himself would go to deliver his people from their captivity and that he would go 
and rescue them, that he would go and save them. He would go and reveal his glory to them. And that, again, that has been fulfilled as well in that Jesus came that first time, right? That is the first advent of Jesus. That that is the first coming of Jesus. But there is a third aspect of this promise, of this hope, which is yet to be fulfilled. And we live in between that second and third aspect of this promise in that Jesus has already come once. The Lord has already fulfilled his promise to send his servant, his, uh, uh, to send a savior to rescue us. But we still await for Christ's second coming, right? We still await for Christ's final advent where he will finally deal with all that is wrong in this world, where he will finally deal with our sin, where he will finally destroy death, destroy everything that is evil and rescue us and bring us to our eternal home, to our eternal city. And so that's where we find ourselves right now, between the first coming of Jesus and awaiting for his second coming. But we know, and this is one of the biggest things about Advent, about this Advent season. We know that because he already came once, the promise of his return is more than secure, right? We have hope in his return because we know that he is going to fulfill that promise. Now, for us, you know, we've, we've seen the fulfillment of that first aspect in that the people of Israel went back to their land, they rebuild the temple. We've seen the fulfillment of that second aspect in that Jesus came and, and uh, uh, you know, died for, for his people. Um, and as we wait for this third aspect of this promise, I think we definitely can identify with the people of Israel here in that this, uh, this life, this, th- this world still seems very much like a wilderness, right? The people of Israel were there and they were looking at, at the way back home, and there was this literal wilderness, but also this uh, figurative wilderness where the way back to the promised land just seemed so impossible, right? It just seemed so impossible for them to think that, that Babylon could be defeated and that they could go back to the, the land that God has given them, to the promised land. And I think that we can identify with that sometimes when we look at this world, when we look at the sin in this world, when we look at the suffering, at the brokenness of this world, when we look at how creation is fallen. And not only do we see that around us, but we also see it within us. Why? We see our own brokenness. We see our own struggle with sin. We see our own suffering. We see our aging. We see sickness. We see suffering and death. And so I think we can very much identify with the people of Israel in this promise of hope. And so th- we need this promise more than ever. And this promise is that the wilderness of this world will not prevent Yahweh, the Lord, from bringing us to our eternal home. Let me say that again. The wilderness of this world will not prevent Yahweh from bringing us to our eternal home. Let's look at these words in Isaiah 40 uh, once again. In verse 1, God is comforting his people. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Again, this is a word uh, uh, from God as a tender father, right? Speaking to his child Israel. And he is saying, it's over. This wilderness that you, or sorry, this exile that you've been, it's over. I'm bringing you back to the promised land. I'm bringing you back to this place where my glory will be revealed. I know that you've been suffering. I, I know that you've been enduring this exile and this, and, and uh, that you've been in this foreign nation, but it's over. I'm bringing you comfort. It is over. And I think that one of the problems for the people of Israel is that they were probably beginning to wonder if God actually cared about them. Right? Imagine they were 70 years in exile. They were starting to wonder, does God really care about us? Is he actually going to deliver us? Maybe some of them were even starting to wonder, is God even capable of delivering us? I mean, why did we lose to Babylon in the first place? Could it be that the Babylonian gods might be more powerful than God? I think they were, they were going through, the, through this questioning and God brings them hope here. And, and really, this is what, what the second half of the book is about. That God wants to deliver his people and that God can deliver his people and God will deliver his people. He is capable, more than capable of doing that. But he is bringing a reminder for them. And this reminder is implicit here. Yes, this is a word of comfort from God, but the reminder is that this suffering, this exile, this discipline that they are under, they brought it upon themselves. They are suffering because of their own sin, right? And if we think about the world today, we see that the world is in such a, a bad place. The world is full of suffering. The world is full of, uh, uh, of sin and brokenness and sickness and all of those things. And I think we need to go back and think of Adam and Eve and say, yes, the world is the way it is because of our human sinfulness. The world is the way it is because Adam and Eve sinned and, they, and we inherited that sin from them. But we need to take it a step further and say, I've also sinned against God. I'm a sinful person. And so this, you know, I, I'm not saying that I'm sick because, you know, because I sinned and there was that direct correlation. But I think that none of us can just, you know, sit back and say, oh, those Adam and Eve, how dumb, how, how could they sin? If they had not sinned, we would be so much better. I think all of us should say, no, if I would have been there, I would have done the exact same thing. This is a problem of all of humanity, not just Adam and Eve, but all of us are in rebellion against God. All of us deserve the wrath of God because of our disobedience to him. But this message of hope is saying that our sins have been forgiven, that our iniquity has been pardoned. And not necessarily because we have received uh, uh, double for our sins, but because someone else received the punishment that we deserved. 
We can say that our sin has been forgiven. We can say that there is hope. We can say that we are not under God's wrath, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus and his death on the cross. Jesus is the, the, the Lord's servant prophesied in Isaiah 52 and 53 who came to this world and who carried upon himself the sins of his people. And it is only because of him that we can be forgiven. It is only because of Jesus that we can come to the Father and receive these words of comfort and consolation and say, yes, our sins have been forgiven because somebody else has paid for them. Jesus paid for our sins. But, you know, that, and, and that, that ultimately is the good news of the gospel, right? That our sins have been covered, that our, that our, that our iniquities have been covered. But there is more to this. What should be the disposition or the attitude of those who wait for Jesus' second coming? What should be the, 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 the disposition of those of us who are still awaiting for Christ to return? Well, look at what verses, or look at, look at verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These words should immediately bring us to John the Baptist, right? That's, that's the, the, probably the biggest thing that John the Baptist is known for. He is the voice crying in the wilderness. All of the gospel writers refer to John as the voice crying in the wilderness. And what was John's message? That's right. John's message was a message of repentance. His job was to prepare people for the arrival of Jesus, for the arrival of the Lord. And his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so for those of us who await for the Lord's return, for those of us who, who await uh, to arrive at the, at the heavenly home that God has promised to us, our disposition, our attitude should be one of repentance, should be one of humility, should, you, should be one uh, of having a contrite heart, of recognizing our own sinfulness, our own need for God, our own need for salvation. Again, we can look at the world around us and yes, it is extremely messed up and broken and there is sin all over the place. There is war and destruction and hunger and, and, and you name it. But we also need to look at our own hearts and say, I am in need of salvation. I, am in, I, I need to repent from my own sin I need to humble myself and come to the Lord. If I want to prepare the way for the Lord to come, this preparation looks like me repenting and humbling myself. Unfortunately, when Jesus came, right, John was preaching this message of repentance. John was preparing the way for the Lord to come. But when Jesus came, many of the Jews and the Pharisees they were not ready to repent. They rejected Jesus. And it's ironic because they were in captivity. They were under the dominion of the Roman Empire. 
Yes, they were in their land, but they didn't have, they didn't have power. But the little bit, little amount of power that the Roman Empire allowed them to have, they held on to that. And when Jesus came and threatened that power, they rejected him. They thought, no, we, we have what we need. We have, the, we have the control and the power that we need. We are not, uh, uh, you know, when Jesus confronts them in John, they say, oh, no, we're free. We're free. We're not under captivity. We're free completely. And Jesus came and he offered them freedom, true freedom, true forgiveness, and they rejected it. And so we need to remember that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to rescue the lowly, the repentant, those who knew their need for a savior. Not all of those who had it all together, but those who were hopeless, those who were asking for mercy. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 5. This is the disposition, this is the attitude that all of us should have as we await for Jesus' return. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did you catch that? Did you catch the disposition and the attitude of those who will receive the kingdom? It is those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And so as we prepare for the, for the return of Jesus, as we prepare for his promises to be fulfilled, let us prepare the way for the Lord. Let us make straight a, a desert and a highway for our God by repenting and having an attitude of humility and coming to God in utter need for Him. Now, what about the wilderness of this world that seems so impossible to cross, right? We have the promise of going to the promised land. We have the promise of going to our to, to our heavenly uh, country, to our heavenly nation. But the wilderness of this world just seems so difficult to cross. It just seems so difficult to get there, right? I was saying earlier that the people of Israel were probably starting to question God's concern for them, God's, God's capability of saving them. And my hope is that none of us are questioning that at the moment 
But at the same time, if we're honest, sometimes we lack faith. Sometimes we, we are surrounded by, by the difficulties of this world. Sometimes, sometimes uh, uh, our situation seems too difficult to bear. And we start questioning God's goodness and God's ability to bring us home. And so in this next verse, we see that there is nothing that can prevent the Lord from saving his people. Verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up. Think about the, think about the, the picture. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The wilderness of this world is not difficult enough for our Lord to come and save us and bring us to the promised land. There is absolutely nothing that can stop God from accomplishing his plan of saving us, of bringing us to our heavenly country. As, as I was getting ready for this message, I was reading uh, a little bit of the context of Isaiah and I found a passage in, in chapter 35, verses 1 through 4, that speak into this. Isaiah 35, 1 through 4 says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Let me read that part again. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Notice, notice the transition here. Not only is the wilderness not uh, difficult enough for God to come and save us, but the wilderness itself, God is turning into something Beautiful. The wilderness itself, God is transforming in order to bring us safe to this place. And remember, this goes back into this attitude. It's not, about, it's not those who have strong legs and strong hands and a, and a, and a uh, brave heart that will make it. It is those who are weak. It is those who recognize their need. Because it's not about our strength. It's not our strength that is going to bring us to our heavenly country. It is God's power and strength that is bringing us there. He is the one bringing vengeance and recompense. And he is the one saving us. He is strong. We can hope in him because he is strong. And there is absolutely nothing that will stop him from delivering us. And now what is the end of this promise? Well, we see that in verse 5. The end of this promise is ultimately 
the glory of God revealed to all flesh, not just to the people of Israel, but to all flesh. Verse five says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One thing that many of the people of Israel failed to see and to understand over and over is that this promise of the glory of the Lord being revealed and the transformation of all things was a promise for all people. Not just for the people of Israel, it was a promise for all people, right? That's what we see in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see this shift where even the disciples, they are still trying to figure it out in the book of Acts, but they realize that the promise of salvation is for everyone, not just for the people of Israel, this promise is available to all. When Peter is preaching uh, at Pentecost in Acts 2, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The gospel is the good news for all people. It is the good news of forgiveness from our iniquity, comfort and consolation from our suffering, safe passage through this wilderness into God's new creation. And this message is for all people. This hope is for all who come to Christ and repent. It's available to us. And that's Last week, we were talking about why we are missional, right? And, and hopefully, we are making sure that we are bringing this hope. We are proclaiming this hope to all people. And so let us prepare the way for the Lord. Let us repent from our sin, acknowledge our own weakness, our own need, our own brokenness. The wilderness of this world will not prevent Yahweh from bringing us to our eternal home. Let us hope in him, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's the end of verse five, right? The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This means that his promise is secure. In the, in the following verses, we're not gonna read them, but in the following verses, the word of God is compared to us. And it says that all of us wither like grass, but the word of our God will stand forever. We know that this promise is secure because the word of God will stand forever. Let us hold fast to his word. Let us hold fast to his promises. And he will get us through this wilderness to our eternal home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words of comfort, of hope. Lord, please help us acknowledge our own sinfulness and our own need of you and give us the comfort and hope of your forgiveness. We thank you that Jesus went to the cross and he took the punishment that we deserved. Help us prepare the way for you in repentance, in humility, in weakness, 
Help us remember that there is nothing that can stop you from fulfilling your promise, from bringing us home. Your word is secure. And God, we eagerly wait for the day when all flesh will see your glory, when your glory will be revealed to all. In Jesus' name, amen.